Hello, and welcome back to Bring It In. My name is Shannon Sterone, and I'm guest hosting today's show. I'm here with Gerard Hector and Coach David Thorpe. Hello to you both, and thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I love when we have guests host or do the intro, Coach, because then people are like, what, what podcast am I listening to? <laughs> Who's even talking right now? <laughs> yeah, they'll check their, they'll look down and say, wait a second, what? Wait, did I? Good. <laughs> We're trying to expand our horizon. This is a good time to do it, too. Exactly. We're trying to get smarter here, folks. Um, so, folks, Shannon Sterone is a writer, author, and her expertise is space. But before we get into that, Shannon, you have to tell the funny story about how we met. <laughs> we met after uh, a long afternoon of protesting in the village. Um, and I was walking down the street trying to find a restaurant with a friend, and I just heard someone yell space. <laughs> What were you protesting? We have lots of protests. It's a long list, but what was it? Lots of protests. Roe had just been overturned that day. So it was, it went from a bad day to a delightful moment. (laughs) Literally, coach, we're we're in the West Village. My girlfriend, Kara, and I are in the outside the vestibule of Rosemary's. And I literally was just pointing, going, space. (laughs) And Kara's like, can you not point at her, please? I'm like, yeah, it's space. (laughs) Do you have a fascination, Gerard, that I'm not aware of? I didn't know you loved uh, um, I Space is so fascinating to me, wow. and, we'll, and we'll get into that. Um, but, you know, when you're on, like guys, when you're in media and you're on Twitter and you're reading different things, and I read, so many things come across my, my, my desk every day. You often don't always associate at the, readily who the author is, and like, but you just know because you've either seen their bio or their little right. icon photo a million times. And I saw her and I was like, I know that face. And it, space, yeah. And, but I couldn't, that's it. Like, I short-circuited right there. I couldn't go from space to Shannon. To like, it, just, <laughs> it just stopped there. So that, that's what that was. And anyway, it was fun. We was had fun. a nice connection there. And now I'm like, well, we got to get her on the pod to talk about space. Let's go. Yeah, so I kind of want to start there, Shannon, with the big question. What is space, right? I feel like it's this massively expansive thing that, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna joke now. According to Captain John Luke Picard, space is the final frontier, right? <laughs> so like it's this last like bit that like we know nothing about, right? Because Earth, well, we kind of pretty much know everything about what's on inhabitable on Earth. We know probably very little about what's up above us and beyond. That's true, and I love that question because space is. I mean, technically, we're in space right now, so. We're very familiar with it, maybe more than we realize, but space is really everything we think about that's outside of Earth. Everything in the universe, our solar system, our galaxy, it is the the grander environment that we all exist in and we come from, but it's where everything is. It's this massive, ever-expanding void full of <laughs> weird, scary, amazing, beautiful things. <laughs> Shannon, we have a tradition on this show. It's more than that tradition, more of a guideline. Henry instituted it. It's called No Pop Quizzes. <laughs> it, it, it never applies to me because these fuckers always sit, pepper me with questions all the time. But I'm not allowed to ask them any questions. But I am nope. asking you as an expert <laughs> the one question I'm always wondering about. I've heard you. I'm sure you've heard this. There are more grains of there are more stars in the sky than grains of sand on Earth. It seems yes. hard to imagine, although I, I have no problem believing it. Can you can you confirm that is true? That is true. Yeah, there are I think our new estimates of stars that we think we have in our solar system or in our galaxy are upwards of two trillion. 
which is bonkers when you think about that we know that most stars have planets. So right. if there are trillions of stars in our galaxy that have planets, then makes you think. But that's just one galaxy. Like there are trillions of galaxies in the solar Jeez. in the universe. Jeez. So it's the more you think about it, the more you learn, it just kind of melts your brain. Yeah, brain. That's what I'm thinking is brain melt, right? So now the, the next thing that most people logically ask is, is like, okay, well, if we are in one galaxy and there are trillions of other galaxies, is there another galaxy somewhere else right now where a weird old version of the Bring It In True podcast is happening with the three of us somewhere else doing something quite similar? You're talking similar. about the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> multiverse, yeah. multiverse yeah exactly i mean theoretically that that is a possibility it, it probably wouldn't be if there was another version of us it would be in a completely different universe so it would be some other a whole other situation but somewhere in this universe i mean we have no idea there could be no other life like us right. or there could yeah. be tons of it and we probably won't ever find out what what brought you like Gerard and I have been basketball fans forever. Uh, I mean, since I was you know in second grade writing poems about Jerry West because my dad liked Jerry West for <laughs> some silly reason. Uh, what about you? When did you start your fascination with space? Ooh, um, I think I think it was probably when I was in second grade. My Teacher Mrs. Collins had gotten a book of the of National Geographic book of all of the pictures that the Voyager spacecraft had taken in the 70s and 80s. And she'd shown me this picture of Jupiter's great red spot, which at the time was much bigger than it is now. And there was this close-up, and the caption said, you could fit four to five Earths in this spot. And then next to it was a picture of the whole planet of Jupiter. And I just, I think I was destroyed in that moment. Like my little tiny eight-year-old brain could not process what she was telling me. And ever since then, I was just fascinated by, wow, everything is so big. And then my grandpa had this rinky-dink little telescope that he got in the 60s. And we used, used it in our front yard in LA to look at Saturn one day. And I was like, oh my God, there's that's a whole separate other planet. It blew my mind. And ever since then, I've just... I've just always wanted to know, like, what else is out there and what does it mean? And I've just been sort of in love with the topic ever since. You can you can hear the passion, right, Coach? Like, it's, it's <laughs> kind of like when we talk about basketball, right? That's how she's talking about space. Like, that's that's how how much it means to her. I'm, I'm so curious, like, when you think about it in those terms, how do you then think about not just yourself, but we as people, as we relate to space, right? Because obviously in our own lives, right? We are the most important person, right? We're the executive director, the star, like, so everything is so centered around us. But when you think about space, we're kind of insignificant in the larger realm of like what's out there, right? Yeah, I mean, so I love that question because I think it has, I, I want us to rethink about how we, like our gut reaction to those pictures and how we understand space. And I think that, feeling small does not mean that we are insignificant. And I, I always try to change people's heads like when they, when they go there because it's very possible that we are the only technological, intelligent, you know, being sentient beings like us out there. It's very possible it's just us. That means that we are incredibly significant. 
But the more you learn about how likely it is that we've evolved to being able to talk on computers and look at each other with headphones on, the odds of that are so low. So we're actually incredibly significant. But I think that the more we can learn about space and realize that we're not actually really any different from the stars and the universe, we all come from the same things. I think that that would bring us more connection and like better appreciate each other. And the fact that we're here at all, it's absolutely wild. It, from a, just a, a strictly like percentage standpoint, right? The fact that the three of us were born human beings, that's, incre that's an incredible, like, right? Like lottery art, we could have been amoebas or some other kind of like parasitic <laughs> organism, right? That's just, mm -hmm. but, and I don't think that we often think about things in that way, right? Because again, when you are, there's this kind of exceptionalism you have when you're a human being, right? You're like, well, of course I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, well, but you could have been something else, right? Like <laughs> Exactly. Or that you could not, we could not be here at all. Like we're here because of a blip in evolutionary, you know, metabolism within cells. It's like the odds are so low. But I think that that's what I love when, when people look at those pictures of space that come out from, you know, tell whether it's Hubble or GWST. Mm -hmm. I think when we're just like, oh my God, that's a thing that exists. And it's like, yeah, and, and we are made of all the same stuff. We just look different and we have brains and we can build telescopes to look at our environment and go like, what the hell, like what's going on here? I think that's so, that's, for me, that's the coolest thing is that we are, like Sagan said, we are the universe reflecting back on itself. And that's exactly what we're doing. Like literally it's what we're doing. Freaking cool. I uh, I want to point out very quickly that when you referenced your grandfather and said he got a telescope from the 60s, as if that was like 300 years ago, Sharon, I was born in the 60s, okay? <laughs> like middle 60s. It wasn't like late 69 either. <laughs> My wife was born Neil. in the 60s. We were, we were, I'm not a child in the 60s, but seriously. Anyway, um, so on True Hoop, it really, any of us that are that are focused on on the game from an analytical standpoint or a media standpoint, uh, other than when you're covering a live game live, we're we're looking in the past, always looking in the past, and then trying to project forwards. And something we take very seriously. It's hard to see the future, but that's certainly the hat that I have to wear at Troop all the time is try to see what what's happening here and what does it mean going forward. But that's your business. That's that's astronomy in a sense. Every everything we see uh, in the heavens, so to speak, is light that is from a long time ago. And then you, people like you and the many scientists out there are trying to figure out what that means going forward. So, I mean, uh, New York Times, New Yorker, CNN, we get our media how we get it. But what, what don't we really have any idea about the average person that someone in the know may have a little bit better perspective on what's coming in terms of the knowledge we're about to get? about you know, the known unknown or the unknown knowns out there? Ooh, I love that question. That's such a good question. There are things that we want to know that we'll never have answers to. Like just by the sheer fact that the universe is just so damn big yeah. that we'll, we'll never have answers to, you know, we'll never know for sure how the universe ends. Everything will be, will be gone by then. We can theorize, we can have information that says, we think this is how everything is going to end. Um, and on a much smaller scale or a sooner scale in terms of time, you know, we can use telescopes like JWST to help us understand galaxy formation. 
And really what that telescope is doing is trying to look as far back in time as we possibly can to the beginning of the universe when light first existed and try to understand what were those galaxies, what did those galaxies first look like when they were brand new and galaxies just started to form, when stars just started to form, what was going on? So we're trying to look back just as physically as far back as we can with the technology that we have to understand how it all led up to this point of how we're here, how we're in the Milky Way, what our universe looks like right now. And then, of course, there are a lot of scientists that use that data to then project and think about, can we get more information to figure out how this is all going to end? Even though we won't be here for that yeah. ending, it's still really fun to think about. So it is really very similar to like you're replaying clips of a game. Yeah. You're looking back and analyzing everything that a player has done, everything that's happened in that game, and try to understand, well, how do we think they're going to play in the next game? How do we think this team's going to do in the playoffs? Like, We are obsessed with time in that way and looking back in time in whatever capacity, whether it's sports or in astronomy. That's cool. Do we, so like, you know, in, in, in sports, like if coach is watching film of a game where I'm watching something, odds are if we have enough back data, it's not easy, but we can kind of identify what's going to happen in the future. If he's like, well, if you haven't done X before, right, it's highly unlikely. Or if you perform within a certain parameter, this is likely what you're going to perform like going forward. Now it changes based on like age and different factors that like change that curve. Is it kind of the same way with, with when you're looking at space, right? With James Webb, for instance, like, all right, we're looking at the beginning of time, but like, what does time mean in space? Like 60 seconds is a minute here. Like what, but that's not what that means up there. Like, right. That's not what that means up there. Like how, how does that work? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, yeah. So time, I mean, that's, that is a very complicated thing, but time and space, they're very, they're fundamentally intertwined. But to look back in time in that way, you're right, it, it is different that when we're looking back at, I think the last deep field image we got of, of James Webb was 13, the oldest galaxy in that picture was 13.4 billion years old. So when we're looking back at time in that way, it's actually a lot older than that because the universe is expanding. It's expanding really, really rapidly. So the light that came from that galaxy has been traveling. I mean, it's traveled longer than that distance because the universe is expanding so quickly. So time in that way gets a little bit wonky when we look at the universe. And But it is a fundamental part of space itself. And to go back to the question that Coach asked about... Um, like trying to understand these these big questions, there are, there are questions that are related to time and related to galaxy formation, like dark energy. We don't know what dark energy is, but like the matter that we are made up of is 5% of everything in the universe, like actual matter. Then there's dark matter, which is about 25%. Dark energy is about 70-ish percent. There, And we have no idea what it is. We can't see it, but we know that it is physically speeding out the universe at like it's like 71 kilometers per second or I don't know it's something incredibly terribly fast and we don't know what it is so the more we can look back in time in that way the more we can have an understanding of how fast is the universe expanding when did it really start speeding up we don't know why like we know when it did but we have no idea why so we're trying to understand like what is going on it's when we 
we might not ever have those answers, but it's sure fun to ask them. Do, but do you think we might one day really know uh, the the actual origin, the big ba- the the true Big Bangs? It's not a theory. It, it, it seems like it happened. Will we be able to almost like recreate it? Because I've read articles going back 10, 15 years where they were close to kind of re- recreating what, what originally happened. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we try to we try to create violent, you know, moments like that in particle accelerators, like at CERN, we're trying to create like what was called the Higgs boson, the God particle. Um, The thing is like, we know, we know that that the Big Bang happened because we have evidence of it in what's called the cosmic microwave background radiation. I don't know if you've seen this map that's like, it's blue and it's got orange and green splotches on it. And that is the the background microwave radiation of essentially like the guts of the beginning of the universe right. when the Big Bang first happened. Um, there's a few milliseconds of time between the Big Bang and then we don't know what happened like a few milliseconds after that, but then we know everything that's happened since. There's a little moment in between where we're like, we, we can't figure out exactly what happened. It's nuts when you think about how wow. much work we have done. Like we're still finding weird creatures at the bottom of the ocean, yeah. but we're like, we know everything that's happened since the Big Bang, except this little tiny sliver. <laughs> we're trying to figure that out, but it's. Um, it, it, I think that's part of the. For me, I and I know a lot of scientists feel this way, but I'm not a scientist. That they love that, like there's like an itchiness to wanting to know the answers to those questions, and I think knowing that a lot of them we're never going to have the answers to but we can piece things together. It's like putting together like a really complex murder mystery. And you're like, we're never going to find the killer, but we'll find clues along the way and just not being able to stop chasing it. It's, it's like an adrenaline rush in a weird nerdy way. It's no, this is great. Yeah. It's uh, so Gerard, you, you talked about how we pretty much know earth. And then Shannon just mentioned about, you know, we still are discovering creatures. It's amazing. The things we still uncover. I always think about this. Uh, you remember the the bombings in Atlanta for the Olympics? Mm-hmm. The, the dude that did it wasn't Richard Jewell. The dude that did it, he was like hiding in the mountains of Carolina, which yeah. are not the Himalayas. Okay, it's, right, right. you know that yeah. for like a decade, yeah. like, we couldn't find that dude there. You yeah, know, we, yeah. we knew he was in the area. It's just this. So, and that's just our tiny little speck of a planet. Um, yeah. But on a on a on a serious note, I, I don't know if either of you have read. The Premonition, Michael Lewis's latest book. Mm-mm. It's kind of a follow-up to The Fifth Risk, which I could not recommend more highly, is a really great understanding of our government as told through the failings of those four years, in 16 and 20. It's really crazy. I think it's the best government book I've ever ever read. Uh, the next one, The Premonition, is kind of the story of how we botched COVID, our response mm-hmm. to, to COVID, when we really didn't have to. Even going back to W. Bush and then Obama, they put those, those guys put things in place where well, we had a plan. We had brilliant people. One woman, Charity Dean, is uh, out in California, who I, 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 I'm not done with the book yet, but I think it's her premonition that, oh, something bad's coming. And clearly we botched it horribly, disastrously. But it got me thinking the other day when I was reading it, well, f- those four years have been a disaster for so many different reasons. Uh, what, what don't I know? Like what, and so, so you say you're not a scientist, you cover science, you write about science and scientists. 
What, what during those four years do you think that you know of now uh, we're going to have to catch up on because we lost some ground for all sorts of reasons we, we, that we don't have to talk about here, but we all know how they cut funding all over the place. So do you, are you aware of some holes that we were moving the right direction and then we took a step backwards because of those four years? I mean, in terms of space, there are missions that got delayed mm-hmm. during that time because, you know, different funding issues, the yeah. fact that COVID just kept people apart. That um, too, yeah. They're not there. It's not a dire situation, but but there are delays that that are a result of that time period. Um, JWST almost got delayed many, many times during that time, not just because of COVID, but because of a whole host of random issues that telescopes a little bit. We thought it was cursed, <laughs> so it's doing OK <laughs> so far. But um, yeah, I think that I think that science is an interesting has an interesting cadence to it and especially space, because it can be polarizing. I think a lot of people look at space exploration, whether it's humans on the ISS or sending out spacecraft to Saturn or Jupiter or building billion dollar telescopes like JWST. I think um, a lot of people think, why are we spending the money to do that? And that can, I think, push back on progress, but the scientists are still like, they're all on their own missions because whether we realize it or not, and I wish more people realize this, that doing research on other planets and building spacecraft, there's a lot of that technology that immediately benefits us here on Earth. Um, like the cameras on your cell phone exist because of the space program. I mean, mm-hmm. the iPhone couldn't build that camera without NASA. That's just one example. Like it's, I think that uh, the last four years have altered how we think of science and view science and... I, that can be both a good and a bad thing, sort of depending on on where yeah. you fall. But yeah, you know, one of the things that, and you mentioned it. So, for some of our our audience who are not quite so up to date, can you just give them a quick uh, elevator pitch on what is the James Webb Space Telescope? The James Webb Space Telescope is the biggest telescope we've ever built and sent to space. I think it, the mirror is three times bigger than the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, And it has different vision. So the Hubble Space Telescope sees invisible light, the way you and I can see each other on the computer. Um, And it sees in near-infrared and ultraviolet light. So it's looking at the universe with a very specific set of glasses, so to speak. James Webb, on the other hand, sees in infrared. And infrared is essentially able to see through a lot of things, not in X-ray, but... One way I like to think of it, and you can think about this on the basketball court as well, because sound works this way. But when when a sound or when something is moving towards us, that the light or the sound in that spectrum is scrunched and it shifts to the blue spectrum. When that is stretched out like taffy, like so when a galaxy is moving really far away from us, when an ambulance is turning the corner and stretching far away, that that light is that or that sound even is stretched out and shifted to the red spectrum. So we call that red shifted. So James Webb's main mission is to look at these red shifted galaxies, which are the oldest galaxies that one, they formed the beginning of the universe were right when galaxies started to form and that have also been yanked out really far away because of dark energy. So it's doing that, um, but 
it's also supposed to look for evidence of organics and possibly evidence of life on other planets. So the implications for the telescope is they're pretty huge and we're only a few weeks in and getting so much data. So it's really, really exciting. It could, it's already fundamentally changing how we understand the universe and it's going to do this for the next 10 years at least. So one of the cool things is guys, if you haven't done it, of course, follow Shannon on Twitter because every time there is a picture from James Webb that comes out, she literally loses her mind. And it's like, it's the most exciting thing. And it's like when coach and I are like, Oh my God. And I text him about some ridiculous basketball play that happened. Like, and it's just, you know, it's that level of excitement, but it's actually very, very cool. So NASA sent something out from one of its accounts this morning about the idea that we think that there's no sound in space, right? Um, but that isn't particularly necessarily true. Um, it's just that for whatever reason, like we are limited in like just as us beings and like we can't hear it. But no, there's tons of sound. Can you talk a little bit about, about that this morning? That got you particularly excited. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great clip this morning. Uh, so there is lots of sound in space, but it exists in a frequency that we can't hear. Just sort of like, you know, you can blow that dog whistle thing and we can't hear it, but the dogs like freak out. There's just a lot of, like, we're, we're just human animals and we're really limited, even though we're pretty fantastic and special, like we're just not able to do it all. So they released this clip of um, what was essentially data that they had converted to a, a Hertz level that we can hear of what a black hole sounds like going through like traveling through all the dust in this cluster and it sounds like dying souls begging to escape from an abyss like it is a really upsetting terrifying sound <laughs> but it's really cool because you know you think about space and a black hole like it wouldn't sound like you know a ferris wheel or some kind of carousel <laughs> or something it's gonna sound like real real intense so there's all sorts of Things that I mean, NASA they they do that to help us kind of connect with it better because you can't just hear a black hole, but they're like, let's convert it to a sound where we can hear. And they do that with Jupiter. Like you can go on NASA's website and be like, what does Jupiter sound like? What does Saturn sound like? Um, and all they're doing is converting data into an audio level that like a frequency that we can understand. That's wild. I love it. That's very really cool. Um, I have a question for you, Shannon. Uh, this is a personal thing for me. I have str I struggle to watch any sports movie uh, about if, as long as it's about a sport that I understand that uh, that pretends to be real. Like I can watch a stupid movie and be fine, but movies that act as if they're showing something real, I I, I can't watch the movie Coach Carter. I had lunch with Coach Carter, <laughs> the real Coach Carter. I, I don't. I, I've coached in that environment. I can't watch most shows. I laugh at Ted Lasso, but I have a minority stake of a soccer team over there, and I know that that show and so and American soccer have nothing in common except they use a ball and the guys have ears. Like it's not real. But and, but I watch the Marvel shows. I've watched all of them with my kids. Now they're twenty one, uh, and I do struggle when I see them on a planet somewhere that they took a long time and there there's no helmet on like. But I can fake it because I'm not a scientist. I'm just a basketball guy. How do you handle – there's so much content regarding space. And I mean 99% of it is probably completely impossible. Oh, well, this, this is good that you asked this, Coach, because one of the things we have on the, on, the, on the show rundown is how does popular culture impact how we think about space? Yeah. So, yeah, Shannon, answer that, and we'll yeah. dive into yeah. this a little more. <laughs> I love that question. So for the longest time when I was mostly ignorant, I didn't – I was like, okay, this movie is kind of dumb. 
But I, my brain wouldn't go to like, you don't have a helmet on or like, where's your oxygen tank? Or you're walking on a planet where there's so much gravity that it would smush you. Like, right. (laughs) I never thought about that. And then now I watch it and I'm like, it's all ruined for me. Yeah. I can't like, I'm glad it's no, it's the same thing. And like, there are movies. Yeah. Yeah. The Martian is a good example. Andy did a really good job. He consulted with JPL for a really long time. Interstellar is like is pretty good in terms of science okay. because they had the singularity part with the Tesseract. I have a whole other feelings about that, but <laughs> that it's like most of them are pretty bad. Like Ad Astra, yeah, oh, that movie <laughs> that is no joke the worst space movie I've ever seen in my life. It was upsetting to me. I was scre- I watched it with my parents and was on the floor like yelling at the TV and was like, how can they do this? Like they're having a gun battle on the moon. It's a crappy doesn't work that way. I was so pissed. And like it's Brad Pitt and he's taking himself all seriously. And oh, it was awful. The CGI on that movie was really good because they went to Neptune. But then it's like his dad's living on Neptune. Like it, you would you'd be so dead. It's <laughs> that stuff drives me nuts. I'm like. No. <laughs> there's, there's a great, I love it. You, you probably have seen the uh, movie Thank You for Smoking. Really smart movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there, Rob Lowe plays a very sleazy, you know, very wealthy producer. And when he talks about cigarettes in space, he's, and the guy, the cigarette lobbyist says, well, how do you do that? Because of fuel or whatever. And he said, oh, you just, and for a sci-fi movie, you just say, oh, we made a, we, we invented the so-and-so and everything's fine. <laughs> and so I can't, I, what you're saying, I, I haven't watched any of those movies. Because I don't trust if, if you pretend to be real, and I just don't trust you will be. I can't watch it. If I know you're fake, I can just let myself enjoy the fa- the fantasy. That's why you yeah. watch the Marvel movies. But if you take yourself yeah. seriously and you're not accurate, I can't do it. it you know, the, the Martian. I'm glad you brought the Martian because that was I was I was like, you know what? This is the first time I've watched a space movie, and I'm like, okay, this seems real because everything that Matt Damon is doing there. It's with the first thought of the atmosphere and environment that he's in, right? Like, regardless of what thing happens that he has to respond to, well, first, I'm in this atmosphere that is not made for me. Right. So how do I, like, maneuver myself on there, right? Yep. Okay, so the Martian's great. But most people, maybe the Martians, like, maybe they seen it, maybe they didn't. It doesn't have the sort of popular culture appeal that, like, the Star Wars franchise right. has. Oh, yeah. And so something like Star Wars is interesting to me because – you wrote a great piece about one of our favorite planets. Well, everybody's favorite planet, Uranus, right? <laughs> Mainly because it's called Uranus, right? And Shannon has all these fun little, like, you know, little quips in the article and, like, probing Uranus. And it's just all the low-level – but it's we laugh because it's fucking funny, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's funny. hilarious. <laughs> butt jokes are always funny. Everybody laughs at butt jokes, right? Okay. Yeah. So I think of Uranus as, like – the Hoth system, the Hoth planet on Star Wars, right? Super mm-hmm. cold and freezing, but you're like, mm, except that that's just like Antarctica where you can like maybe hang out for a little while. Like you can't hang out on Uranus, right? It's like cold to a level that's like not like we, these bodies cannot cannot stay there. I mean, it's super, this the thing is like they're at Uranus. I'm just going to call it Uranus for the sake of yes. the show. Oh yeah, tell people what, what, is, what the actual pronunciation is. The actual pronunciation is Uranus. Which is really not that much better, like let's be honest. <laughs> just for the just for the sake of how funny it sounds, we're gonna say Uranus for the rest of the show. <laughs> so Uranus is very gassy. 
<laughs> so you couldn't really land on it, even though it's very, very cold. But there are moons, like the moons in our solar system is really like where you're going to get comparisons to Star Wars. So mm. Hoth would be, I mean, like Europa or Enceladus, like the real mm. icy moons of Saturn and Jupiter, where there's massive ice cliffs and... I mean, you would also be really dead on those planets. Because, I mean, on those moons, like the radiation from Jupiter would kill you even upon approach. Like you couldn't do it. It's bad enough for our spacecraft. We have to like put them in lead cages yeah. so that they don't yeah. die. And you um, couldn't you couldn't walk on these planets on on Jupiter, right? No. You couldn't walk. The gravity would way fall too right through, and then you'd get crushed into like right. a little nothing because of the pressure. Right. But it's but the same on Uranus. And on Neptune, you would also get crushed. <laughs> yeah. And you'd freeze, and then you would... I mean, like, there's so many fabulous ways for space to kill you. Right. That's why when they... <laughs> I was just thinking that. It's really good. When they, when they play these movies, I'm like, okay, so this is how that guy would die on this planet, and that's how this one would die over here. And I love that in The Martian, Andy's, like, almost dying all the time. Yes. Because, like, yeah, that's, that's what, real. If that's real. Like, you're going to go to Mars, and you're probably going to die. Yeah. So... In terms of atmospheric conditions, which planet is the closest to ours? I know there are none of them are exactly like, but what's the closest to ours? Our, our twin and our actually the most habitable planet for us to live on would be Venus, but we'd have to live in the clouds because the, the pressure on Venus on the surface is so intense that it, it smushes like lead, like it melts lead and okay. it completely like will buckle underneath the pressure. But there's a level in the clouds that's like, 80, 80 kilometers below the top of the surface that's room temperature it's like mm. 74 degrees fahrenheit mm. the, the gravity like the pressure is just like you're standing on earth and you could just build floating cities and live there you just couldn't get lower because in all the sulfuric acid and everything that rain sulfuric acid is lower to the surface you would just be completely annihilated but in the upper part of the clouds that's actually the most habitable region in it, the entire solar system outside of earth and venus is the same size it's like our could you breathe the system. air could you breathe the air at that level you couldn't there's no air up there right? mm -mm. yeah yeah you just have to have a way to to constantly make oxygen but yeah. you could you could build like floating right things wow. up there and then space and labs how, how long did it take to fly there it's not that far going to the inner solar system is a lot closer journey because it's it's like closer to the sun it depends on where Venus is in its orbit because you usually have to, the physics of moving in towards the sun and then also not getting sucked into that gravity well is a little bit tricky, but it's it's easier than going other places. So when we talk about all this big game about, well, Mars is our backup planet, it's like, there's no backup planet, but if you're going <laughs> to actually have any chance of living anywhere else, it's going to be in the clouds of Venus. Interesting. So where's well, our sci-fi movie in at Venus? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Ridley Scott. <laughs> right, exactly. I love it. I love it. You go, you go for Ridley Scott. Ridley <laughs> Scott, where is it? Um, one of Shannon's other favorite pastimes, folks, is yelling at Elon Musk um, on Twitter and, and all the other space explorers. Let me rephrase that. He is not a space explorer. No. Wealthy people who just spend money to go on rockets and, you know, do stuff. And they do that because they know if the revolution comes, we're killing them first. Right? Mm -hmm. So, like, we got to get out of here and go, and go hide, <laughs> hide away from everybody. Um, but is, is the stuff that, like, Musk and these guys doing, I feel like that's dangerous and not really – it doesn't aid in what actual space exploration is. 
Correct. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for us at all. I mean, in some ways, the the technology that they develop could have some pot like potential down the line, but but not really. I mean, SpaceX is fantastic. Everything he's done with reusable rockets and and Gwen and everybody that works there. That's fantastic. But in terms of the space tourism and this whole like escapism thing, mm-hmm. that's just that's just for them. Also, they're not going to do that because there's no it's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like such a nice thing to be like, oh, we're going to go build a sphere and like live in low Earth orbit like Jeff Bezos wants to do. It's like, cool, you're going to die. Like, it's really not that easy. <laughs> oh, you're gonna <laughs> and die. you're going to, you know, like it's it's just it's not feasible and it's i feel like it is a dangerous precedent that that a lot of our culture now relates to space exploration like i'm putting this in quotes Mm -hmm. yeah in the context of what the billionaires say that they want to do and it's like that's not space exploration that is an economic opportunity for them for the wealthiest people on the planet to buy tickets to go to to you know technically space for four minutes and then come back down that is not actual space exploration. Like GWST, that's space exploration. Sending a mission to Mars, to Jupiter, to Saturn, to Uranus, that's space exploration. <laughs> that, what they're doing is just selling, they're selling a narrative of like false hope to people because we're all so collectively like depressed about the world that we're like, yeah, that sounds great. There's a there's a plan. It's like, no, there's not. Coach, so. you see that? You see how she's already indoctrinated into the anti-billionaires oh, yeah. club? I didn't even... I mean, I didn't have to like even push her. I just mentioned it. It was that a clip? Can I can I join it? <laughs> uh, is there a is there a you know if there was a Venn diagram between all the work we're doing regarding space and climate change? Is there an overlap between the two? Yes, yes. There's a big overlap. So we we know everything we know for the most part about climate change from I mean not everything. We, we would not understand the severity of climate change without the Earth satellites that NASA launches. They are responsible for giving us most of our scientific data around watching ice caps melt, um, studying droughts, like the water table, everything. We would not know how serious of danger we are without those satellites. Um, also, by studying places like Venus, we understand, okay, so this is what happens when you have a runaway greenhouse gas effect. When you put too much CO2 in an atmosphere... You turn that place real quickly into the most deadly, one of the most deadly planets we have in the solar system. So having that that technology and that that I guess that quest to sort of zoom out and look at things, it does give us context for one, what does our planet, what's normal for our planet? How are we watching it change? Um, it's it's all connected. So yeah, it's we, we I don't think we could have one without the other. Uh, let's go back to like elementary school when you learn the solar system because I don't remember any of it. There's there's some cool like little acronym we used to use to figure out the order oh, of the planets. Mem-shop. There we go. Because I'm like <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> All right, so give us the planets from furthest out to closest in. Okay, I'm not going to include. I'll include it. Okay, that's fine. Um, okay, we've got the sun. Then we've got Mercury. So those are our of our mm-hmm. Vemshnup. Then you've got <laughs> Venus. Then there's us. We're the third. Then you've got Mars. Then you've got Jupiter. So then be- between Mars and Jupiter, you've got the asteroid belt, which is okay. really big. Okay. Then Saturn. Then Uranus. Then Neptune. Then OG Pluto. 
oh, out on the outskirts. <laughs> and then you've got all of the, you know, the Kuiper belt. And then even further out than that, you've got what's the Oort cloud, which is this giant ring of icy stuff that all of our, all of our comets come from, the Oort cloud. They travel in from billions and billions of miles towards the sun and they travel back out. So that's... where that's In that list, where is Asgard? Ooh. Where Thor's from? <laughs> I didn't hear what planet. What planet is that? Yeah, I don't know. Where's the hot boy planet? <laughs> and can I go there? Because it ain't Earth, right? Because it's and not. Can I go there? That's funny. You and my hairdresser can go there. She, she would. Love I promise you, she would love to visit. Yeah, that's funny. She yeah, like, because it ain't here. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. We gotta task NASA with that next discovery. Please find the Chris Hemsworth planet. <laughs> Um, but Pluto has why, so why do you call it OG Pluto? Like I feel like Pluto has like a sort of like is it a it's, planet? It's, it's, is it a, not it, right. It's yeah. kind of come up a lot in like what is it? It's the super cold planet. Is it like what? What is it? Pluto's super cool. So I personally don't care whether it's called a planet or not because when you that's such a contentious thing. But when you look at what planets are, there's really only like one, and it's really Jupiter. Like the mm. rest of us are just kind of really beefy asteroids yeah. and Jupiter's like a failed star. So Pluto's Pluto's really teeny. It's like, I mean, if you look at the size of Pluto compared to the rest of the planets in the solar system, it's a real baby. So that's why it's called a dwarf planet now. But just because it's been quote unquote demoted doesn't mean it's any less cool. It's got like, obviously it's got that big heart on the surface, which we know about because of New Horizons, but it's got this like convection and ice volcanoes and, like weird snakeskin terrain and Neptune's moon Triton, which is not that far away, also has a similar surface and has active plumes like spitting stuff out. But it's um it's a weird, it's a weird place. But that that heart and all the that red gunk mm-hmm. on Pluto, that those that's called Thalens, which is just organic material, like that we're made out of organic material that's been irradiated by the sun and it turns into this like red sludge stuff so it's a, it's cool but it's like you know i grew up in the 80s and 90s where pluto was real was like a planet and then now yeah. it's not a planet i'm like well, i don't really care it's just still really cool but i call it i call it og pluto because people get really <laughs> what did you what did you study uh going bef- you know before you did this what was your uh main academic thrust art history sounds about yeah. right that, yeah, that, sounds, that actually sounds right. Sounds about right. You're not, so, but you're very knowledgeable. Where did you get all your knowledge from? Just in your in your in your work? Yeah, just in in reporting and yeah, lots of reporting, lots of writing stories. Just talking to really really smart people who yeah. have spent. You know, it's it's actually like a really selfish loophole that I don't think people realize is that when you have a a beat like space where it's just most of the time it's really fun and interesting, that the people you're talking to have in some instances been. 50 years, 40, 50 years of their whole lives studying this stuff. And so when you have an hour long interview with them, you're getting access to four decades of expertise and knowledge. And you're just like, I'm stealing all that stuff. And I'm just like putting it in my brain. I've got your recordings. I'm putting in the story and getting to do that on repeat for the last eight years. It's just, it's like a weird little master's program. It's like it's getting great. a PhD without all the bl- all the bullshit you got to go yeah, to like actually get a PhD. Like, yeah, yeah. I have my own deadlines, but it's self-imposed. And, <laughs> and the decades reference, just to be clear, 
the first team I coached was 1984. I was a, I was a sophomore in college. That was my first ever coaching job. I just coached my own frat team, but I'm going on 40 years of coaching. So yeah. you, you know some things too, coach. I don't know about um, that. I haven't been around a long time. <laughs> but no, but I asked that question though. Seriously, Shannon, you, you saw the Pentagon re- release a lot of those the video footage of uh, you know, things they can't explain. I, I think they actually mm-hmm. called it like unexplained events, you know, in the, in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's not just your thoughts, but what are your thoughts? And have you talked to some people about it? Uh, you know, that, that, that space is their life and what are their thoughts? Yeah. I mean, generally in, in the community and people I've spoken to is that we are all feel and are in agreement that those are like likely military, other countries' military vehicles, because the, the technology required for another civilization to have survived like, we're not doing a great job about ourselves. So they, yeah. they could have what's called great filtered themselves out of existence. So for a civilization to have survived their own um, technological upbringing and then to have the technology to travel between star systems from a habitable world to ours to zip through, you know, the 30,000, 50,000 feet level of atmosphere with like weird little planes, it's the odds of like the likelihood of that is really low, but the military, I think we underestimate, like we have a lot of money that goes to the military and they're, and lots of other militaries and they're building, you know, incredibly fast advanced uh, planes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the, everyone really, you know, does not buy into like, it's the, it's aliens, but I mean, I would love if that were true. Like, that would be so cool. But I, I don't think it's true. I think they're just military aircraft. It's, it's very, Tony very Stark. Cool. That's who it is. Yeah, it's, it's Tony Stark. Stark. It's Tony yeah. Stark. That's, I mean, we, we know. Private, private enterprise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, thought, um, I thought it might be, you know, these, these uh, inhabitants from other galaxies see our country and they see, like, you know, hip-hop and jazz and ice cream and pizza and Asian food maybe and <laughs> – that's what all we got going for us right now. Some good Vietnamese. Like, I don't know what else we got going for us. We're out of here. There's better places to go. Those are the best you know? things about us. Right. That's it. Those, those are That's the best it. things about us. That's it. So, yeah. you know, we are, of course, a basketball podcast. And Shannon, one of the things I always, we Coach and I always talk about is, all right, the civilization of Earth, our lives are on the line. And the aliens are coming down to play us in basketball. Who is our starting five or else we're going to all die? Right? And so... I know. Yeah. You're like, oh God. And so we're, of course, we always pick like our biggest, like, you know, Giannis, like Katie, all our seven foot, like ridiculous freak show athletes, because uh, we got to win. Right. Um, You are a Warriors fan. And so if you, you know, we talked about off air, if there was a team that like sort of symbolized space for you, it's the Warriors. Right. Because it's like, what What are these guys doing? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, The Warriors with Kevin Grant. The Warriors with Kevin Durant, specifically that team. So talk about your your sort of like falling into that fandom and why they remind you so much of space. That was, I mean, yeah, I never really watched basketball. I just off and on, like growing up in L.A. with the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. I mean, you could not watch the Lakers sometimes. It was just part of the culture. But I think the Warriors, when they, when Seth and... Clay like first started playing with the Warriors and they started becoming the like the Warriors became the Warriors. 
we started watching it just because everyone was talking about it. And I was like, well, if this is this big of a deal, I need to watch a game. And then you watch one game, you watch one game of them play. And it's like, was like, I, like my mind was blown. Like the same, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but the same kind of like feeling flabbergasted and not understanding, like, how could that happen? The same, when I, this morning, when I saw that picture of Jupiter, I was like, oh my God, how could that be? Watching when the Warriors were at their height with like, you have the Splash Brothers and you have Durant, watching them play, it was like, how, I don't, I did not, I still don't understand how it's physically <laughs> possible that they did the things that they did. It was, it was like watching this like ballet of, just, uh, I don't even have the words. It was the coolest thing, I've, coolest sporting thing I've ever seen in my life. So Shannon, <laughs> I want you to read True Hoop now, going forward, and you'll have the words. That's exactly what we do, Shannon. Thank <laughs> you. I, I don't know a better way to put it. We, we try to give people like Shannon, uh, who are fascinated with the sport and not necessarily as knowledgeable as they are in their own field, the words to understand, the ability to understand what it is you're watching. Because we have written... Uh, 800,000 words on that offense, <laughs> including yeah, last week. I wrote about it last week. I wrote about because they lost Gary Payton. And so I talked about, oh. I even referenced going back to Steve Kerr first getting the job. And he was in, a, I think it's an airport restaurant. And he used a charcuterie board to kind of diagram the new offense they were going to run. He Henry did. wrote about it a long time ago. I wrote it about it last week. He yeah. Did. Yeah. That's yeah, very him. cool. Yeah. We, love, we, we love Steve Kerr, yeah. And, and Coach Thorpe affectionately calls the offense the Cuisinart, right? Because, you I know, think, when you see a food processor yeah. and you see all the – that's that's what it's like. It's just this constant whir of like, oh well, I don't know. And, <laughs> and and you'll love this, Shan. I'm so silly for not thinking of it earlier. We have a term in basketball called gravity. So gravity is the, the pull that a player has on his defender or on a defender. So Steph Curry has the biggest gravity in the league. Because that nobody wants to leave right. him. So wherever mm -hmm. he goes, you can, and you can track this digitally. You which, can see it too. Right. Yeah. Well, for sure you can see it, but you can also track it with data and, and label it. Uh, companies like Second Spectrum based in LA does that. The NBA partners with them. So you can see as he moves, so do mm -hmm. defenders. And so the Cuisinart is built with gravity as part of it. It would not work. It doesn't work without Steph Curry. He'll have to change yeah. some things. When Steph's not there, that, that the principles are fine. Curry Curry makes the whole thing go. I think that I think Henry came up with the term Cuisinart, but Cur uh, uh, Curry's the plug. Like mm -hmm. if it, if it's not plugged in, it's just a it just sits there. Like I he just makes when he was out on injury. I was like, oh no. Oh, oh well, I mean, like, you, you saw it right. That team was atrocious right? was so, when he was out. It was painful. <laughs> it was painful. But I remember watching. When, because I mean, I was living in the Bay Area when mm -hmm. this all started happening, and they just were destroying everybody. Yeah. And watching, like, I feel always felt so bad for the people who were on defense against Steph, because he was just like you couldn't, you just couldn't touch him. It was like, oh, are you going to be up in my face? I'm still going to shoot from across the court, and I'm going <laughs> to smash this. And you're just like, there's no point. Just sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what makes it, the, it was, the, the Rockets almost beat him, which makes it pretty incredible. The Rockets were up 3-2, yeah, yeah. which that says a lot crazy. about what they put that together. Was such but a good game. you also saw the joy that they play with. That, that's very, oh for the average fan, uh, to, to, be, to win clinically isn't nearly as uh, attractive as mm -hmm. to win playing with an exuberance and a joy. And those guys really, and this is something uh, 
Gerard and I have talked about a lot. KD has lots of flaws as a human. We all do. But none of us are as public as him. But boy, does he love to just hoop. He just mm-hmm. wants to hoop. He do, you can't when you're that uh, successful. But uh, that's how Curry is. That's how Clay is. Those are just, even Draymond, they're ballers in the best way. Yeah. They, and they play the right way. Durant always plays the right way. He could score yeah. 60 a game if he wanted to many nights. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't because he's trying to play the right way. That's so that's I'm sure attracted you as well because they were so yeah, they definitely. play with so much fun. Yeah, but I feel like so. and I feel like Kerr does that too. Like he encourages them. He doesn't want it to be. For sure. I think he knows that you're not going to do as well if you're not having fun. I feel like that's yeah. true with anything. Like anything. if you're not having fun on this podcast, you're not going to make good podcasts. Right. Got that right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love about about the Warriors in terms of how they play. You talk about space, right? So obviously space above us, that space, but also space here, right? Just space. What I love so much is about Curry's gravity in that where they do something, and this is getting basketball nerdy, Shannon, but when they set like just something simple like a pick and roll, right? Which they don't do a ton of when they do the Draymond Steph pick and roll, right? Or Steph Draymond pick and roll. They start it so high up on the court, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because the defender is worried about, well, this guy can launch from 40, so I I have to pull up there. And once you suck that up there, right? There's so much space behind them now, right? So it's like, it's a free-for-all back there for everybody else. Yep. And so when two guys go to step, it's like, well, Draymond's like, this is like kidding the candy it's store. right open. Yeah. Right. I'm playing four on, you know, four, four on three downhill or yeah. five on four downhill. And it's like, I'm going to kill everybody now because yeah. you got two guys back there worried about that, dude. It's a, it's a joy to watch and how that, that happens. You mentioned something to me off air. How many people you know that follow space are obsessed with basketball? <laughs> Can you talk about that? Many. So many, like some of them are, are baseball fans, but most of them are really, really into basketball. And I, I mean, it could be that our generation is like a space jam generation and who doesn't love space jam. I mean, it's like two perfect things like basketball and space, but together, but there's a a lot of my colleagues are, I mean, like on a level of basketball obsession that I've never participated, even though during the playoffs, I would wear a warrior shirt every day. And it was like, we would make sure to be done with work so we could go to the bar and watch everyone. And just, it, this is another level. So there's a, there's a good overlap with the space community and the basketball community. And, and I think for like, of all the sports to me, basketball is the most, the most space-like, right? Like if you're doing the whole thing about aliens coming down, you're not saying baseball or football. Like no, no, no one ever said gotta, that. They got to watch basketball. They got to watch yeah. the Warriors. They got to watch the Splash Brothers. Be like, have faith in humans. Watch them. Like, watch them do their thing. <laughs> if, there, if there were beings that existed outside of Earth, though, were, were they likely to be small or tall? That's a good question. We have no idea. It would depend on what environment they grew up in, yeah. like what their planet was like and what their gravity was like. Because there's probably life all over the universe. There's probably mm-hmm. like organic sludge and right. bacteria and viruses and microorganisms all over the place. But beings like us that can use tools and build technological things, mm-hmm. there's probably not very many, but they could they could look like anything. That's my friend Jamie Green's actually writing, uh, wrote a really wonderful book about it that's coming out next spring called The Possibility of Life. And I, I haven't read it yet. I can't wait to read it. But it's she goes into like what could Earth, uh, life look like on other planets and how we gauge that from sci-fi and Star Trek and Star Wars and how likely is that scientifically for them to evolve. And it's we just don't know. But it, they could be they're for sure really weird looking. 
<laughs> objectively, if you looked at us, you'd be like, how strange. Like, yeah, <laughs> they've got hair growing out of their head and like weird body parts. And they, you know, like you would look at us and go, man, what weird little creatures. Oh, I, I get that like. all the time anyway. For, for 57 years now. <laughs> that is new but for I, me. I, I will say like, and I, I often say this, right? The NBA, the, 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 the NBA players are, they're aliens. Like they're, they're mutants. They are oh, no, like, Steph's right? not from here. They're right. They're right. You, as you said, he's not from here, right? These people no. just, the, what they can do is just like, all right, you guys are nuts. Um, but I, I also love the fact coach that Shannon is like, when we talk about what the NBA has to do to rope somebody in, like it's people like Shannon, right? Because she's the casual fan and the warriors just captivated her like that. And she told me off air, when Durant tore his Achilles and then left that summer in in, uh, in free agency, she was just like devastated. She was like, "What the hell? Like, what? I, this was my thing, and you took it away!" Like, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm honestly still upset about that because it was there was a ma- like those magical few years of just you know this special team that you just could not believe when they got on the court. It was like you guys are going to be destroyed. And you just knew you could watch them and just be like, you guys are about to die. We're going to watch it. It, it is, uh, you know, you wonder, John and I've talked about this. Oh, if, if he had to do it again, what do you do the same thing? We, I wrote an article saying there's just no way he's leaving Steph Curry. You can't, yeah, you yeah. can't script a better teammate than that guy. who has yeah. got the best gravity in the league, probably of all time. Who's so willing to, to not be the leading scorer. If you want to play with them, that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. How do you leave that guy? But he did. He did because he's got. Here's what I wonder: if if you play the rewind game, do you go all the way back? Does he force Sam Presti to not trade James Harden from Oklahoma City, and does that trio never break up? If you go in time machine, yeah, you like no, 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 no. I don't don't trade that dude. I don't think so because I think Harden wanted out. To me, the better question is: Does he say to Sam, "We can't win with Russ"? Trade him now. You'll get it. You'll get so much. The guy that back then he had such a. Rep, yeah. A good reputation and played so hard, we can't, yeah, us. we can't win. Then you might be able to keep Harden. Because Harden just wanted to see if he could lead the world in scoring. He mm-hmm. could have done that. With KD, you still could have done mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they both would have been one and two in scoring. Mm-hmm. But not with Russ there. Yeah, you couldn't do it with all three. This, this, this is why Coach is here. He's like, ah, the better <laughs> question is. Um, no, th- this is awesome stuff. So actually, on some KD news as we as we wrap the show. Yeah. Um, so Sham Sharania from The Athletic, um, a report came out today that a, another team has emerged as a Durant suitor in the Western Conference. That team being the official team of this podcast, my favorite team, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, but the Grizzlies have been very clear that Jaron Jackson Jr., our boy, Tripp, and, and Desmond Moran. Bain are not – well, John Morant for sure. But Tripp and, and Desmond Bain, no. No dice. They are not included in this deal. Um, we'll give you, we have a ton of picks. We got a bunch of other young guys we'll talk yeah. about, but not those two. And look, there is no bigger Kevin Durant fan than, well, his mom, but, but than me, um, but even as much as I love Durant, I wouldn't do it if I was Memphis. I wouldn't give up any of those young guys either. Like mm. I'm just not doing it. Like we, we got a good go? thing going here. Which is Where actually, else would he go? Can't have to stay in Brooklyn or the Nets are going to have to just bite the bullet and take a lower asking price. Cause the longer this drags on, the more it's in favor of the teams who would potentially trade for him because it's just another year that goes by now. And it, it's cause it's going to be a situation that the nets don't want to keep dragging out. So yeah. they're talking tough now, but that asking price that they want for him is just too much. Right. An all-star young player five draft. I mean, it's just a lot and most teams don't have it. And the thing is yeah. he's not going to want to go there to a team now where it's like, 
well, you just get everybody to get me, and now we stink. We're gonna, you know what I mean? So it's just you're. And, and Brooklyn isn't on our on a, a start again campaign right. because they have no none of their own picks. Right. So that's why I think Toronto eventually could come around because they won't they won't be Siakam and Barnes, but it could be OG, could be Gary Trent Jr. and or Fred Van Vliet. They have a bunch of picks. They've got picks. They've got some other young players that's a talent. I could see that potentially happening because Brooklyn then will at least be a play-in team or a playoff right. team, and that might be the best they can hope for. Coach, I don't know if you're noticing, Shannon's got her New York. Do you want to put, pull it up so everybody can yeah, see it? Her New York. Uh, yeah, New York. With Mets <laughs> colors. colors. With I wear my Mets colors. colors. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't, even as much as I love Durant, I was like, I can't. There was like a thing. I couldn't support the Nets because, like, he doesn't belong there. He's supposed to be on the Warriors. Like, I can't. I just have, like, an allergic reaction to it. So it's like, you know, I'm going with the Knicks. I can't. You, <laughs> with the Knicks. you really so are petty. truly a fan. That's 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 the fan yes. mentality. I watched uh, the last couple uh, – I guess the last month I watched uh, – I think it was Amazon did a, a documentary on on Arsenal. Mm-hmm. The team Arsenal in London. Where I've seen a game over there, one game at Arsenal Stadium, and I don't care about them. I like them now. I like the coach a lot. I like some of the personalities. So I've kind of adopted them for the season until our season starts. But once mid October hits, I won't watch another Arsenal game. I'll be lucky to even know the score. But it, what's funny is as you're watching, basically the documentary was based on last season. So it's week to week. They show every game and the interviewing fans. Fans are crazy. Fans are absolutely crazy. Oh, we'll never win. They lost three in a row to start the season. Oh, my God, we're the worst. Then they're fighting to be top four and go into the Champions League. It's just, it's a roller coaster. And as, as John knows, I always tell my players and the, and the coaches and executives I mentor, you got to get off the roller coaster. You got to enjoy the merry-go-round. It's, a, it, it's just going to beat you up. Yeah. If you if you just ride that ride, it's too crazy. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I got off, and I'm I'm on the Knicks roller coaster. That's it. You get, you're oh, on the no, roller coaster no, now. No, that is not a roller coaster. I know it's not. That's it's a like car a accident. Line. No, that's a car accident. And not just one. That's bumper cars. I'm also a Met, I'm also a Mets fan, so I have a really have a penchant for punishment. Oh, are no, they not good so this year? Shannon, here we go. We are very, very good this year. year. So very good this year. Grew up a Mets man. We are, listen. Best team in well, the Dodgers are on a little better record. My, Maybe also, the best I mean, team in the NL. I know. Really? So, when I, so when I cross west of the Mississippi, I'm a default to Dodgers hat. Yeah. Okay. East of the Mississippi is a mess. mess. Where, where do you live now, Shannon? I'm on the Upper West Side. And, yeah. Oh, you're in New York. Okay. So yeah. I get it. You're living it. They're living the mess right now. Okay. Good. Yeah. We, Mets are great right now. We're so excited. Um, listen, you know how I feel about billionaires, but Steve Cohen, woohoo, you bought this team and now we're good. So you're you're good with me, buddy. <laughs> For now. I'm going to For my now. first game oh, in wow. September. I'm going to go to my first Mets game. I'm so excited. Yeah, City Field is a good time. You will have so awesome. much fun. Oh, you know what? There's another New York experience. U.S. Open, if you can, always fun. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's right across that. from City Field. Gerard's okay. covering that. Yeah. When is that start, Gerard? That September? starts from next Monday. Yeah, 27th. Yeah. Uh, end of August. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, Shannon, this has been so much fun. I think as a as a collective, we've gotten smarter, obviously, For sure. talking to you about space, as have our <laughs> listeners. Um, tell the people where they can find all of your awesome space writing and just follow you and you yelling at Elon Musk and sharing cool photos about space. Yeah, I do. Well, I do most of my yelling on Twitter, so you can find me there. Um, and then my website is very poorly and randomly updated, uh, but it's just <laughs> shannonstrone.com. But I'm I'm around, <laughs> but you're but you're running freelance. I saw you wrote something for Slate. That you you you're running a few places, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a contributor at the New York Times, and then I write yeah. I write for the Atlantic and 
Right. Slate, Slate and Esquire, lots of different places. Yeah. Heavy hitting places, people. These aren't, yeah. this ain't Mickey Mouse publications. No. These are, this is the That's real right. deal. And I think you said something about how you can't wait to tell all your, all your scientific space nerd friends about True Hoop. It's really exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad oh, I told them they were actually really jealous. Let's go. They were very jealous that I was on this. So I think awesome. they're going to awesome. listen. We, we love it. And Shannon, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Thanks this was another awesome episode of Bring It In. Uh, stay tuned because coming up this week, we have a special interview with another one of our guest hosts, Abigail Smithson. She'll be back with a former NBA player. Can't tell you who, but, you know, stay tuned for that. And then Coach and I, we're going to be rolling out our season preview content coming fast and furious because, Coach, training camp starts next month, for crying out loud. <laughs> I know all about it. Two, a couple weeks. A couple <laughs> weeks, yeah. So we're, so we're getting ready. So thank you, everybody. Stay tuned, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.